The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And joining us for a second day from Princess Bride Minute and X Minute, Steve Lasto. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Good to be back. We are in minute 44. (laughs) It starts out with Snake climbing out of a window. It ends with Snake jumping down off a wall. And we have... The moment in this minute that I just, I gotta jump to right away because it's just so awesome is he blows a guy's hand off who is one of the crazies is, is trying to get into a room that Snake has put a bookcase in front of a window and a guy sticks his arm in and the hand just comes completely, perfectly off like it was a machete instead of a gun. And it is such an awesome scream that they use. It's just like this, ah, it's just such a great <laughs> noise and unfortunately though molly the ag prevents us from adding this to our list of completely dialogueless dialogueless minutes uh, oh, i didn't realize there was a dialogue it moves so fast it's so much fun yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. it totally is yeah uh i love that he shoots through the bookcase because it's <laughs> so rare that and i feel like this is a trope where people will hide behind furniture and for some reason the furniture prevents bullets from getting to them. <laughs> but here, I feel like this is actually accurate that, yes, you have a full automatic. And yes, it is going through the shitty Ikea bookcase and is shooting the sky's hand. So, hey, great. You know, that's a little <laughs> bit more real. And incredibly enough, this hand is actually very important. If you remember back, um, I mean, who the hell is going to remember? Back in minute 19, I mentioned that in the novel, Hauk has a personal reason for becoming warden of the prison. That his son oh, is no. there, and he asks Snake to keep an eye out for him, and he mentions that the word Hauk is actually tattooed on his hand. And so I mentioned this back then, and I left everyone in suspense. I said, there's going to be a payoff later on, just stick around, even though this is a thread that's not in the movie, it's in the book. Well, In the book, Snake pauses a moment after he blows off the hand and he sees on the hand is the Hauk tattoo. That this is Hauk's son whose hand he just blew off. And at the end of the book, Hauk actually asks Snake, did you ever see my son? And Snake decides to lie to him and spare him the truth and just says, oh, I did, but he's happy and he's fine. He doesn't need anything. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a a two-bedroom on the Upper West Side. He's having a great life. Overlooking Central Park. He's never... <laughs> he met a great girl. She's a Morlock. Oh. Uh, you know, crazy. Going back to the fact this is a dialogueless minute, this is a this is like one of these... This is one of those moments that made... that One of those things where I mentioned the previous minute that I love how John Carpenter is working in a different genre. His mu- The music here really carries this minute and the next minute for that matter as well. Um, and like that, I didn't even notice it was dialogueless. But it's just one of those, one of those, those great, like the music that which is so great in Halloween and so great in other things, you know, really comes through here. Um, there's another moment at like 15 seconds where you first see. Um, are you calling them ghouls? What are we calling uh, them? The crazies. 
the crazies. We start, we see the crazies crawling up the side of the building just out of the frame. And that he does that several times in the course of the movie. And it just amps up the horror just a little bit, just subtly. And it's a great use of his primary genre in like a secondary genre, which makes me feel like, man, I wish you'd been given a few more shots. Mm. On the other hand, I saw Starman in the theaters. <laughs> <laughs> Starman's legit. Yeah, I don't think we're I don't think we're going to agree on this, but in fairness, <laughs> I haven't seen it since 1984. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it since the 80s either, but I remember really enjoying it. Which, really? Uh, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, but that's okay. I mean, you know, we can like shitty things. <laughs> I I, rem- I remember seeing it, enjoying it, but I was like 10, so I you know, does my opinion really mean much then? I think it does. Okay. That's I still cr- think it does. Your your ten year old self is valid. You that's, liked this at ten. <laughs> I I loved this at ten. <laughs> that, that's the best thing about this genre, if you ask me, is the chance to go back and and and, re- and talk about things that you may not have seen in thirty years. I yeah, mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Like as far as the movies by Midas genre goes, I think that's the thing that really make that really gets me excited. Well, let's let's get into this thing. You 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 called this movie sci fi yesterday, and there's this been we've been asking most of our guests. Uh, whether they consider this movie sci-fi or not, because I, I still am struggling with calling this sci-fi just because it's set in a dystopian future. And recently there was even a little thread on our in our Facebook group uh, about this. So, I mean, you refer to it as sci-fi, so I'm assuming you do consider this movie sci-fi. Um, I think if I were having, like, a... If I were really st- stopping to think about it, like, like I am right now, um, I would probably lean more towards saying... Um, dystopian or something like that um you know i mean it, it to me it falls under the umbrella of some of sci-fi but that's not really that really is a little bit too broad in this case mm-hmm. um but um if you don't want me using this as a jumping off point um this watching this again got me really excited to reread a comic book that i like a lot um hmm. which is another dystopian um um manhattan based um story and that's uh, brian wood's dmz I'm not sure if anybody, if you've talked ah, about Ah, you one. are the second guest to mention this one. May I ask who the first was? You may, uh, but I don't know <laughs> I remember which guest it was. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I, I like that guest. Um, well, Brian, <laughs> Brian Wood's DMZ is excellent, and the first half half of the series is actually available right now for comic sol- on Comixology Unlimited, which you can get like for a month for free, and you can just you know borrow it out of their library, if you will. That's their motif. But yeah, I mean, I think I think anything sort of apocalyptic, alternative reality, dystopian definitely falls into the genre of sci-fi. But I can see where it's a, you know, it's an umbrella with holes in it. Mm. Yeah. Suck. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about this bullet hole door situation oh, so that we awesome. have. So it, cool. You know, it's thirty-one ish seconds in. What great improvisation by Snake. I, I know. Like, I mean, who who would think to do that in the moment other than seeing it in a movie and think maybe this is that moment for me to go <laughs> ahead and, and shoot a hole through through the the wall here? Um, I don't know. This isn't entirely an apples to apples comparison, so take this for what you will. Uh, but I was like, God, I feel like I've seen this trope before. I feel like I've seen this a few times of somebody shooting through uh 
a wall and then, you know, running through it. And granted, this is probably some really weak, shitty walls. It's probably a little moist. It's drywall, presuming mostly drywall. But uh, I found this thread that Mythbusters, if you guys are familiar with the show, actually had a show called Mega Movie Myths. And specifically, they dealt with the, have you guys seen Underworld at all? First one. First one, yeah. Eric, have you seen Underworld? Oh, Molly, you know the answer to that. Fuck, Eric, Jesus! <laughs> Wait, I, I don't know the answer to that. What's the answer to that? <laughs> the answer is that Molly continues to bring up movies asking if I've seen them, and despite our mutual shared love of science fiction in this genre, she is still yet to mention one that I actually have seen. It's oh. incredible. I just, like, I don't know what you're doing with your life other than, like, <laughs> I just don't know, man. I'm just gonna send you a bunch of blu-rays when this is all done be like watch this shit put your kids to bed smoke a J. watch this shit and like catch up you know but uh underworld the first one is a it's about vampires and lichens and it's got kate excuse me it's got kate beckinsale in it and they even used it in the trailer but she basically has two automatic pistols and she is cornered in at the end of a hallway with two werewolves that are running towards her. And she's like, how the fuck do I get out of this? And she shoots in a circle around her in the floor. And she drops through the floor. That, so was, a, like, that was a big trailer moment. I remember that now. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, and, and it was like, hey, that's a very elegant solution when you have crazed werewolves after you. So I feel like this is a similar trope in that there's a automatic gun that's been used to basically create a door in where there is none and they dealt with that on Mythbusters, and they were unable to actually recreate it successfully and granted they did use more of like a wooden situation as a like a, a floor but they had like two different guns and tried to mirror the clips and they could not get it to basically make a circle like she did so it's a, a busted myth but i'm wondering because this is drywall maybe that would be sufficient because it's a little softer material but it's an interesting trope that uh i don't know that actually pans out but it is hella badass that snake does it yeah i'm <laughs> thinking of the the scene in uh which it's not a wall but it's glass in die hard when uh bruce willis jumps down with the fire hose and then he shoots at the window to smash himself back inside the building. Mm. I mean, that's glass, so obviously that, you know, shatters much easier. For what it's worth, the scene I keep thinking of is the Phantom Menace where they stick the lightsaber through the uh, the plating as my comp, so that's, oh, um, yeah. you're, you're much closer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it really made me think of was the game that they have in amusement parks with the BB gun where you have to shoot the star out, Yeah, and you have to re- basically shoot a circle around the star to completely remove it from the paper to, to win the prize. Oh, does that actually work? Have you done uh, that before? I, I, you know, I, I played that game a million times because I have good aim and I've never won that game. Mm, so maybe it is really just busted. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of watching underworld and like all the other movies I've mentioned, you basically have been at a carnival <laughs> with a really good aim, is that what I'm? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing you down at that 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 carnival that's off of like um on the on the other side of the Belt Parkway. 
I, that, um, that janky trailer. ass part. Yeah. I, yeah, I thought. I think. I, I think I knew that. It's. It's like a that janky ass carnival. I picture you trying that every <laughs> summer for the last eighteen years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've only lived around here for eleven years. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but you know, I. I don't. I, I know that we sort of went through the gallery of all the weapons that Snake was given back when he was getting everything back in Statue of Liberty Island control. But this gun specifically, I don't know that I called this out. Um, that th- This is a Mac 10 submachine gun. It's fitted with a rifle scope and mounted on a sound suppressor, but the sound effects that you hear when he shoots it are most definitely not silenced. So even though visibly the, the, or visually the gun was made to have this sound suppressor, they decided not to actually be sound suppressed. And it's a very, it's it's a gun that is very popular. It's used in a ton of movies and TV shows. And most famously, it's this is the type of gun that Butch uses to kill Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction. Oh, oh wow. Uh, it is the gun that Ham Tyler uses in the old V TV show. And it shows up in just tons of other movies as well. So it's a very popular movie weapon. Hmm. That's some great research, man. Yeah. And I haven't been around silencers, but I did hear once that, and granted, this is, I think, louder than a sound suppression would be. But I've heard that silencers don't actually silence the way we even hear them in movies. Huh. That they're actually louder. They're not that kind of um, air gun sound that I think we're accustomed to. Like that. Kind of. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I think they're maybe louder than that. Maybe they work like noise canceling headphones by injecting a ton of white noise into the surrounding <laughs> environment. Probably not. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> like a ghost EVP. <laughs> this is making me think of now. I read a Punisher comic book years ago where a guy made a silencer just taking a glass bottle and taping it to the end to the nozzle of the gun. I just, you know, it's just like that. Only in the comic books would that actually silence, because the bullet would shatter the glass as soon as it went through it. You'd think it would be even louder than an actual uh, shot. You would think something for MythBusters. There you go. <laughs> Who I'm sure are listening right now. Yeah. <laughs> so Snake gets out of the window. He climbs up a wall, and oh no, he lost the all-important walkie-talkie. He drops it, and it breaks. And now he's got no tracker to find the principal. The- principal the president he's he's gotten a walkie-talkie to talk to Hauk, who we didn't like talking to anyway now he's <laughs> truly on his own it's hard to believe this guy is a soldier of fortune that everybody knows so well <laughs> <laughs> i do have a little bit of concern because he climbs out the last window he climbs out of he kicks the the glass out and this really is like a pet peeve of mine when people don't protect their limbs when they're either punching through glass or kicking through glass and going through it. And this man basically rakes his balls over the inside of a broken glass window to get out. And I understand that he's motivated to leave, but that just seems like you kind of need to put a blanket down or something. <laughs> well, for all we know, with all the weapons they gave him, just because it wasn't shown on the table, he might be wearing a cup. <laughs> That actually really makes a lot of sense. Sure. Doesn't it? I'm just, uh, I guess we didn't, we missed that in, on the table. <laughs> it was just out of frame. <laughs> I'm kind of trying to figure out what, it's, what it says about me that you're worried about his balls and I was worried about his hands. Um, <laughs> I feel like I should have been more worried about his balls now. <laughs> My priorities, Molly, they're not, in, they're not in order apparently. Yeah, I gotta be honest, Molly, I didn't think about his balls either, so I, that's what it says, I don't know. <laughs> 
go back to the minute. Maybe you'll feel something for him. I'm just <laughs> saying. But I don't know, Steve, maybe you're a craftsman and you're like, or a musician and, you know, hands are important. And the, the, I assure you, my hands have no value to the world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure. <laughs> Moving on from that. But um, one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made a promise I wouldn't talk my balls in your podcast, and I'm not going to talk about my balls in your podcast. Damn it, I'm talking my balls in your podcast. Wait, who did you make that promise to? I, I, I can't talk about it any longer. I got it. <laughs> I'm like, do you have a history of talking about your balls no, in not, podcasts? Not, not, and... not at all. Not at okay. All. <laughs> not that I'm aware of anyway. I mean, it'd be funny to find that out tomorrow. Yeah, I don't wow. know. Did your wife sit you down and be like, hey, I know you're going to be on another podcast, but, you know. There's one thing you don't want to do tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did I did really think about his hands. That drives me crazy when people do the whole window clearing thing and they're like, he's got no gloves on. He, maybe he's got like some sort of something like on his on his palms, but, mm-hmm. you know, he's, you know, he's, he's exposed. Mm-hmm. He should be yeah. cut to shreds throughout the scene, which is wonderful, not, but still. <laughs> But yeah, also, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. also convenient in looking at the scene that as he climbs down the pipe, you see that the two windows that are right next to the one he breaks out are completely boarded up with wood. So it's convenient that he happened to find the one that had glass and not wood that he could easily break to get out of and that there's the pipe right there. That worked out well for him. Mm-hmm. I just got to do an ass side. So I'm recording this in a hotel room. My wife is in the other, in the other room. It's like a like a little double room. Um, she wants me to re- mention that we don't even own an iron. Oh, wait, that was between episodes. Just delete this. Don't worry about it. Because we were talking about it between episodes. About the iron. <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> oh, my God, that's amazing. No, we have to add that because we have to add, add the context now. So Brad, our producer, is an amazing human being, and he likes to be crisp and wrinkle-free. And so he was talking about ironing his clothes. And so he's yeah. unique in that. None of us iron our shit except I, for Brad. We, we <laughs> Apparently, we don't even own an iron. <laughs> I, I was a part of that ironing conversation where Brad talked about his crispness. And uh, beca- I, when you said that your wife told you to remind us you have no iron, I was like, what the hell does that have to do with breaking glass and snakes' balls? <laughs> uh, if that's not the title of this episode, I don't know what could be. Awesome. Um, I, I do want to say, like, I really love this whole sequence. Um, it's it's incredible. It moves incredibly well. It's got a real video. It's got a real like two dimensional eighties video or, or late eighties, early nineties video game feel to it. Like a like a double dragon sort of feel, if you will. Yeah, that's totally legit. Uh, yeah, I love the the horror aspect of this and the the just the pure the pure athletic escaping from this it just turns into a a complete horror movie for this this whole week you've joined us for the horror movie portion of escape from new york but yeah i i love that this does have like a video gamey kind of feel in fact like him climbing up over things um yeah just it it totally feels like a what is that game with um was it uh prince of persia that's what it is prince of persia where you have to do a lot of like jumping up over stuff um that's what it definitely feels like do we ever talk about this being adapted into a video game does that does that happen that's what i was wondering if if someone ever tried to do this as like an actual video game i'm not sure i don't know i'm I'm trying to think if i've come across anything and all the stuff i've read online um i mean of course we went in depth into the 
the board game, but video game. I don't. I'm not so sure about that. I did some quick googling. If you're interested, yeah. Let's be confused with real research. <laughs> um, if you go to screencrush.com/escape dash from dash new, you can you can share it later on in your notes. But um, if you go to this 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 thing, there apparently was a video game that was almost made, um, and you can see the. You can see the art from it and the video from it on this um, on this website. Ah, okay. Oh, or, cool. Or probably on YouTube, but you know, um, covered by this website. Um, so there was almost a video game. No. Oh. Um, and it looks like it was for the PlayStation Two, perhaps. Oh, interesting. So, so it was a more modern. It wasn't even going back to you know like the old Atari days when this movie came out or anything like that. It was a more modern game. Now think about it. Atari. This movie comes out in '84. 81. 81. So Atari crashes in 83. So, you know, if there are, it's with that E.T. game in the, the graveyard in Arizona. Right. <laughs> so we haven't asked yet, Steve, what's your history with this movie? Do you remember seeing it for the first time? Did you like it as a kid? Uh, I'm going to have to bring up something you don't want to know. Um, hmm. I, it's not, I don't have much of a history with it, unfortunately. I, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't see it until, like, maybe, like, the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> And I know that I enjoyed it. I know that I liked it. I know that I was really looking forward to Escape from L.A., <laughs> um, which I own a cop- which I own a copy of. Ooh! But I have never, <laughs> but I have never actually seen. <laughs> and and the copy I own is the kind of copy one would buy outside of Penn Station ah. um, for about two dollars a week after the movie came out. Yep. And I started watching it and realized that. It was unwatchable, this copy. And I also was kind of aware the movie wasn't that good. So I just never got around to watching it. I, you, um, the, the person that filmed that copy for you did you a favor by making it unwatchable. <laughs> I, I think that's the only type of only time I ever bought a movie like that, actually. Huh. Um, that, I can, that I can recall anyway. Yeah, I've, actually, I've, never, I've never bought one of those. I had a, a friend once that was like, uh, I hadn't seen... It was one of the Harry Potter movies. He's like, hey, I just got the new Harry Potter movie. I was like, all right, let's see. I mean, five minutes in, it was completely unwatchable. It was so dark, you couldn't see anything. Yeah, I wish I could remember when I actually saw this, you know, how I got to this movie. I just don't know. You know, I think I I might have heard of it and, you know, I said, that's for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you. Go ahead. No, 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 no. You go ahead. I I was going to ask you a question that you probably can give us a good answer to. I'm going to tie in another one of your podcasts here. Uh, the villains from X-Men, so let's just say Mystique, Toad, Magneto, Sabretooth, the big four villains of the first movie. Which of the four do you think would have, if, if they ended up in the in Manhattan prison, would be the best rival to the Duke to take over? And which one do you think would not last too long if they ended up in Manhattan prison? Man, that's, so it's, it's, um, it's Magneto, Mystique, the Toad, and who's the fourth one again? Sabretooth. Sabretooth. Man, those are all good choices. I'm going to go with the Toad will end up being the Duke. Wow. Mm. Um, I, I just upset. feel like going a little bit a little bit different on it. Because it's easy. Like, Sabretooth can, like, beat the hell out of anybody. And uh, Magneto's, like, obviously a leader type and is, like, you know, uber mutant sort of powerful. Um, I just, I, you know, and, and as for as for Mystique, who is played by um, Re- Rebecca, however you say it, Ro- Romjen Ramos, however you say it. Is that her name? <laughs> Romain we, Stamos. Sure, that. Um, we, we, spent, we spent so much time pissing on her while doing the podcast. Well, let's piss on her again. No. Uh, they, they'd, all, they'd all do really well here, actually. 
I mean, this I mean, this is a good New York for them to dominate. Mm. And and by and for what it's worth, I'm pretty sure that in the original Days of Future Past, at least two of them are are around by the time you know in that by the time by the time Kate Pride goes back in time, and that's as dystopian an X Men story as you're going to get. Yeah, Magneto's alive, Mistake's alive at least right. in the beginning. At the beginning, Toad is probably dead, and Sabretooth hasn't been created yet, so who knows? Right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Well, thanks to Steve for joining us for Minute 44. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at NYMinutePod. Also, the Facebook group Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And I want to just give a shout out to Brad Mendenhall, who is our strong yet silent producer and also very wrinkle-free right now. And he does a kick-ass job editing and keeping us on track, and we very much appreciate him. And with that, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm